come to this text on the Good Shepherd, and uh, all this week I was preparing to do John 10, and, and certainly if you uh, downloaded a set of notes, you say, oh, I'm all right, and we're going to do John 10, the Great Shepherd, the Good Shepherd, and, uh, but over and over again during this week, uh, with the Holy Spirit was really drawing me back to was just this amazing encounter that Jesus had with this man that was born blind. And in the narrative that we look in, in John chapter 9, we get, a, we get a picture really of the heart and the ministry of Jesus and how Jesus pursues this man. He's walking by, his disciples ask what could have been a question that Jesus could have just kind of blown off Like, why is this man blind? Did he sin? Was it his sin? Was it the sin of his parents? And Jesus goes, no, it's none of that. I'm going to show forth the glory of God. The works of God are going to be displayed in this man's life. And then we, we, as we read through the text, we see this amazing text that Jesus reaches down and he takes takes some... uh, some dirt and, and spits in and makes a paste, <laughs> puts it in the guy's eye and says, now, now go find the pool of Siloam and wash your eyes there. And what we see is this amazing truth that a man that was absolutely born blind, first record of any time, any place, a man born blind receives a sight and then comes into play all of these uh, religious people and his parents and his parents are like, we don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. You go talk to him. And, and the man says, hey, it's me. Is it really you? And the great impediment to the healing, the great dissent that came forth in the narrative in John chapter 9 are the very people that we would want or expect to help this man find his healing, to help this man find the grace of God. The very people that have the the knowledge of God are the very people that prevent and keep and try to minimize and try to put down, try to deny that Jesus did a miracle in his life. And that's my conflict. That's where the text got me this week. Is that I'm, I'm, I'm one of those religious people. You know, if you talk to my friends, oh, the, the reverend's here. I'm one of those religious people that, that have the the tendency or the opportunity to instead of encouraging people towards grace and towards God, I have the opportunity to diminish what God's doing or raise the bar so high that they're discouraged. And I can be one of those Pharisees, one of those people that keep people from the grace of God. 
And when I examine my heart and look in the mirror and say, are you that person? There's one part of me that says, oh, no, you're not that person at all. You'll never be that person. And, uh, and at that moment, you can, I can step over the line and actually become that type of person that keeps people from experiencing all they can in Jesus Christ. And I'm not putting this on you, but for us as a church, we can be the, we can be the greatest blessing in someone's life, but we can also be that person in that says that, oh, well, to get in here, you need to be this. You know, to really be close with the Lord you have to be, and instead of enabling people and equipping people and encouraging people towards Christ, because we are so wired religiously, we find it difficult to dispense and to be people that, that touch people with, the, with, a, with, a, with a heart that is full of grace. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, come with me to Luke chapter four for a minute and take a look at Jesus beginning his ministry and how he characterizes his ministry. We can look at Luke chapter four, verse 17. In the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, particularly Isaiah 61, in the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and I love this part, and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When we look at who we are as Christians and we look at what our call is and what our mandate is, our mandate is to be no less and no more. Our mandate for ministry is, is the ministry that we see modeled by Jesus Christ who's empowered by the Holy Spirit to be about setting people free. In this case, in, when we look at the text in Luke 4, to set those that are blind free so they can see a metaphor for not only spiritual freedom to see, but in the case of John chapter 9, that physical freedom. And I love this next verse. And, and, to, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who have been what? Those who have been oppressed. Those who have been broken. Those that have hoped for their marriage to make it, but, but their marriage is on the rocks. People that have worked hard with all they have within them, but face failure, 
They thought they had made the right choice, the right career, but it didn't work out. The oppressed and the broken. When we look at our travel, our journey through John chapter 9, the ministry of Jesus finds its expression not so much in the multitudes. The ministry of Jesus finds its expression as Jesus ministers to one person at a time. Have you, can you recall John? Can you recall Nicodemus? Just a man at night. And after Nicodemus, we see in John 4, we see who? See the woman at the well. We go on in John, and we see the man that had been paralyzed for 38 years. Jesus comes and heals him and sets him free. Do you remember the woman caught in adultery? And they bring her to Jesus. And what we see is not condemnation, but we see Jesus dispensing grace into the woman's life. And we come to the man that was, well, he was born blind from birth. And Jesus comes and heals the man and sets him free. If we're looking for application at this point, we could ask ourselves, who's that one person in our life that we can dispense grace to? Who's your one? Is it like Nicodemus? Is it like the woman at the well? Is it like the woman caught in adultery? Is it like the man with 38 years paralyzed? Is it like the man from birth? Did he sin? Did he not sin? Did his parents sin? Did he sin? Who's that one person in your life that you could dispense grace to. When we look at the religious leaders of the day, we could look at Matthew 23, which we won't. There's seven woes that Jesus gives to the religious leaders of the day. If we could summarize them, if we could summarize all the seven woes of these Pharisees, we could summarize it like this. What you know in your head, you haven't experienced in your heart. What you know up here about who God is and how God's made the world and the power that's in the Lord. And you know this up here, but it's not here. And if it's not in your heart, what we see in Matthew 23, when it hasn't been experienced, it doesn't get expressed to people. And what kept the religious people of their day from ushering people into the grace of God is simply this is that they never experienced the grace of God bringing his healing, bringing his, bro- bringing his healing to their, to their life, to bringing the healing to brokenness, to bring the healing to relationship, to setting them free from the oppression in their life. Well, if you know it in your head and have, experienced, have not experienced in your, it in your heart, you are highly unlikely to dispense grace into other people's lives. And so why does John show us over and over again that Jesus comes to one person and touches their heart? Because he is, here we, here's the introduction to John chapter 10, because he is the great what? Who leaves the 99 
and goes where? Matthew chapter 12, he goes to the one. And it's so the ministry of Jesus is so diametrically opposed to the religious systems of his day. And the sad part about it is that it's nothing new. It, take a look at introducing John chapter 10 to you. Come with me to the Old Testament to Ezekiel chapter 34. And what we see, Ezekiel, Ezekiel is speaking to the children of Israel who are in exile in Babylon. And there are so many lessons that we can learn about how the Lord spoke to the people that were, that were in exile in Babylon, that they had been taken captive and brought into a foreign country. In many ways, we live today in the United States, we live like those people that are in exile. That the values that we want, oh, that's kind of a political commentary, isn't it? How about it? we just let Ezekiel speak to it? Look at the text with me. If you can just, uh, in the front of your Bible, there's a table of contents or your device. But let's start at the end of Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 30. This is the heart of the Lord. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, and my people, declares the Lord God. That's like when we get to John chapter 10, Jesus is going to say, you know, I, I have a people I, that are not of this tribe, that are not of this sheepfold that I have to go to. And Jesus is speaking to Israel here, but he's also speaking to those that he's going to go out and reach in John chapter 10. The same thing. And you are my sheep. Ezekiel writes this in verse 31 of 34. It says, you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. The great impediment to people receiving grace in Jesus' day was the religious people of the day. Come back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. If we were to come across that hermeneutical bridge to the other side, the prophet might say today, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds or the pastors of the Christian church in the United States. He, he, he would say that. And what would the prophet say? He said, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep. You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And when I reflect on John chapter 9 and the great shepherd, is where, where do I fit 
in that narrative. Because my Jesus, my Jesus is like this, verse 11 of Ezekiel, chapter 34. For thus says the Lord, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Jesus sought out one person at a time. And the application to us is who's that one person? And for some of you today, the one person that most desperately needs the grace and mercy and kindness of God is your own heart. Because if you have not experienced the healing of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the fact that Jesus has come to rescue you and he has sought you out and has called you by name and he has taken you to yourself and you've experienced that deep forgiveness and acceptance and adoption that comes from Jesus Christ, you just can't give out what you haven't experienced in your heart and in your life. And when people come into the church or they come into your your sphere of influence, instead of finding a person that that is broken but has grace, instead of finding someone that that has been disappointed yet has received comfort and peace from God, they find someone that has it all up here but not in the heart. And Jesus leaves the 99 to go get the one. Back to Ezekiel, verse 16. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the stray. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. The fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. In verse 23, and I will set up over them the one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, coming in as an introduction to the great shepherd in John chapter 10. Come back to 9 with me, John 9, and look at John chapter 10 for a minute and look at one verse, verse 21. The religious leaders, there's a division, verse 19, among the Jews because of Jesus' words. And in verse 21, others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And John links the great shepherd narrative into John chapter 9, question for you. Who's Jesus, who's Jesus declaring? Who's Je- who is Jesus speaking to that he's the great shepherd? Look at John chapter 9. Jesus heard that they had cast him out of the synagogue and having Jesus went out and sought him and sought after him, Jesus found him. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Speaking of Daniel 7. And verse 36, the man that was once born blind says, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. 
It is he who is speaking to you. And the man said, Lord, I believe, and I worshiped him. John chapter 10 is the good shepherd speaking to the, to the broken sheep that you can trust me. I'm not like the shepherds of Israel. I'm the good shepherd. I've come not to exploit you, but I've come to lay my life down, to give my life up for you so that you could have an abundant life. What's the response of the man that has experienced the grace of God in his life? Well, it's two words that we see in our text. He believed. He had faith and trust in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And that faith, that belief fueled what in his life? Fueled worship. Is that his faith found its expression in his passionate worship of Jesus Christ. If we have received faith and if we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, it finds expression in the ministry of Jesus as expressed here in simple worship. There's an example of that in the Old Testament of what this worship looks like. Come with me. You might know it well. It's found in Psalm 23. The writer of the Psalm is the shepherd of Israel. He's the one that came before the great shepherd. And as Jesus speaks to the man that was once born blind and tells them, I have you. I've chosen you. I've reached you. I've healed you. I've brought you into my fold. The response of a a sheep that's been touched by the shepherd is this type of confession, this quality of worship. Psalm 23, verse 1. David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. You have to ask the question, like, what Lord? What's the quality and character of that Lord? The Lord is my shepherd, John chapter 10. He's the one that lays down his life. He's the one that goes after the one, leaving the 99. The Lord is, that is the quality and character of my shepherd. We could also look at who is this Lord as we worship. Come with me to Colossians, if you would, for a moment. Who is this Lord that is worshiped? What is the quality and the character of this good shepherd heading into John chapter 10? Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 This shepherd, this Lord, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's my Jesus. Verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. That's my shepherd. Paul goes on, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have what? 
that he might be preeminent. Come back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? I shall not want. Why? Because he has completely satisfied me. And he is completely in control of my life. And that he is the complete, powerful, sovereign God that is preeminent. And so my good shepherd is an all-powerful, sovereign God. And I can release my life to him and trust him through the, whatever, life may be, whatever life may offer because he is the good shepherd I shall not want. And he provides out of that contentment, he provides all that I would ever need to rest in him. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Is that his provisions for me are complete and total because he loves me and he's given up his life for me and he has reached down and called me. And because of that call, because of the mud that he put, the spittle and the mud that he put on my eyes, I can see now because he came after me. I was the woman caught in adultery. I was that woman. And instead of condemning me, he gave me my life back again. I was that man, an invalid for 38 years, who hoped who prayed that, oh, maybe I could make it to the pool. Yet Jesus came. I was that man that was blind from birth, except this rabbi came and he intervened in my life. And now I can see. And now I believe. And now I worship him. Who are you in this text? John chapter 9. You that man, that woman that was born blind from birth? Jesus has a remedy. He has a healing for you so that you can see that he is the good shepherd. Are you that religious person? It's got everything squared away. Get all your head knowledge in place but have never experienced in the heart. Who are you? You know, when you gain self-awareness of who you really are, you can really become all that God has destined you to become. You come to that face, you look in the mirror, and you say, hey, if you, Conway, if you're that religious dude, you got no grace to offer yourself and no grace to offer any person. Who are you? Jesus comes into our world not to give us the abundant life of a faith fairy tale world. Jesus comes into our life to give us an abundant life now so that we can live this life, this side of heaven, no matter what comes. No matter height, nor depth, nor things present, nor future. 
neither wars or calamities or famines or pestilences comes into our life so that we would know who we belong to, that he is our shepherd, and this shepherd is good and has a plan for your life. When I reflect on John chapter 9, it rocks my world. Because I traffic in religion. But when I get before God, it's not going to be how many nickels and noises and noses do you have, Conway and Calvary Chapel and Chelmsford. When I get before my God, it's going to be how much grace did you dispense in my name? How many of the blind did you heal? And how many of the oppressed did you set free? When we look at our culture today, it's fractured. Let us not be part of the fracture. When I look at our culture today, it's adversarial. It's polarized. So let us be the people of God that come to the Nicodemuses in our life and speak to them who come to the women caught in adultery, come to the woman at the well, speak words of grace, come to the man that's 38 years, well, you know, you need to know the four spiritual laws. laws. If you know the four spiritual laws, I'll tell you the seven steps to happiness in Christ, or the man blind from birth. Jesus was a dispenser of grace into people's lives regardless of their disposition towards him. Some came and worshiped him, and some just walked away. But the disposition of Christ was to touch people with the grace of God and offer them forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That is the only mission we're on here. To see lives transformed by this simple truth that you have a good shepherd. He laid down his life for you if you'll respond to him. He has a plan for your life. It's an abundant life. And he will fuel that abundant life with his grace so that you will be a worshiper of him. A worshiper that says, my Lord and my shepherd, I'm content and I find my rest in him. Can you say amen? Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's table this morning. Susie's going to come and give us a moment to reflect.